Today we're going to continue, as you can see, in our study of the book of John. And for those of you who are new to the idea, uh, we don't always study topical subjects. We actually would like to walk through a book in the Bible, and that way what we're doing, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us sequentially as He did to these authors. And so uh, we can trust and rely that the Holy Spirit is line up, teaching us line upon line, revealing to us sequentially as He wills the very will of God. So today what we're going to do is uh, we are going to learn about healing, as you can see in, the, in this portion. Uh, we're going to see the purpose of healing, but we're also going to see the gospel preached in absolutely everything Jesus did. It's quite a fascinating thing, and just so you know, I am so completely given uh, to attempt to understand what God is communicating to us through the life of Jesus. What is God saying to us, and how is He revealing to us His plan of salvation? So in this text, in order to understand it and to exegetically take out from it what God placed in it, we have to start by introducing the characters, identify who they are. Of course, first we have Jesus. He's on the scene. We also have, secondly, the Jews. Thirdly, around this pool called the Pool of Bethesda, we have invalids, a large crowd of invalids, the sick, the blind, the limping, the paralyzed, all laying there waiting for something to stir the water so they can jump into the water and be healed. And of course, finally, we have the man who had been sick for 38 years laying right there. So to give some background regarding the Pool of Bethesda, just by a show of hands, let me just quickly see, how many of you have ever read this portion in Scripture? Are you familiar with the story of the Pool of Bethesda? All right. So there's this pool right outside the gate, one of the gates in Israel or Jerusalem. This pool called Pool of Bethesda had a water stream uh, which was designed to fill when it rained. So whenever it rained anywhere, the water came flooding in and it would stir the water as it flooded into this pool. And this is possibly a cause for the water stir. Of course, as we know, also there were some fountains. But the myth uh, was that an angel was stirring the water. It wasn't caused by a fountain. It wasn't caused by rain flooding in there, a stream flooding. It was some kind of angel that stirred it. And the people believed that the first one the first invalid, the first sick person to jump into this pool would then be healed. Now, if you have an ESV, an English Standard Version, or if you have an NASB version, you will find that verse 4 is not in your Bible. If you read through it, it goes verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5. Verse 4 is gone. Some of the very old translations, you will find a verse 4 in there. And the reason it's gone is because the verse, that verse right there was when a scribe attempted to explain to everybody else 
what was going on. Because without verse 4, you wouldn't know why they're laying around the pool and why this person that was responding to Jesus said what he did. I have no one to throw me in the pool when the angel stirs the water. Well, who even knew what that was? Well, in verse 4, they explain that. However, in our most reliable ancient texts, that's not there. A scribe added it in order to clarify what was going on. In other words, verse 4, speaking about an angel stirring the water, is actually not inspired. It is not part of inspired scriptures. It's an explanation that the scribe gives us. And it's so important for us to understand that these people were so extremely superstitious that they believed this myth to the point where these invalids, these sick people, would come daily and lay around this pool, many of them, waiting one day for the angel to stir the water and then for the first person to jump in and be healed. So now that we know these people are here because they're believing a myth, they are filled with superstition. In other words, they have faith in things other than God. They are there in a very hopeless situation. Let's now go little by little through the Scripture and see what God is telling us. Verse 1, it says, After these things, there were a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five port uh, porticles. The name Bethesda means house of mercy. It means house of outpouring. This is where God is merciful to people. This is where He pours out His grace and His mercy. Now, Jerusalem had many gates. It had a wall around it, many gates. The Old Testament says that it had 17 gates, or it lists 17 gates, and each gate had a different name and a different theme. For instance, there was one gate called the fish gate. This is where all the fishermen would come to the city with the, with, with the fish they just caught, and they'll walk through that gate and bring the fish into the city to sell it. It's called the fish gate. Then there was another gate in the wall around Jerusalem called the garbage gate. That's where all the people in Jerusalem would walk through with their garbage to go throw it on a dump and burn it. But here we find another gate in our text called the sheep gate. Uh, it's very important for us to understand this because this is where the sheep and the lambs were brought through into the city to be used as temple sacrifices. How wonderful it is. I mean, it's amazing when you look at the scriptures, every single thing Jesus did was so on point. Everything Jesus did was so, art, was so calculated. Here is the sheep gate through which they bring the animals to slaughter during the temple sacrifices. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. He was just announced as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. Here he is, the Lamb of God, decides to come up through what? The sheep gate. As he walks over to the pool of Bethesda, the house of outpouring. Very, very significant point to understand. Jesus is, in fact, going to preach the gospel just like he has preached the gospel every single time he's, he's ministered to anybody whether it be the woman at the well, which we went through, and before that was when Jesus actually turned the water into wine. Every single time he does anything, he's actually revealing the gospel. It's an amazing thing. So here he walks through the sheep gate to Bethesda, 
the, the, the house of outpouring, the house of mercy. And it says in verse 3, in these porticos lay a multitude, a multitude. Can you imagine that? A multitude of those who were sick, blind, limping, and paralyzed. I mean, there were many of them. And as you read through John, for clarity's sake, it's very important for you and I to place ourselves in the shoes of the people to whom Jesus is speaking. If Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee, put yourselves in the Pharisee's shoes. Is he speaking to you? When he's speaking to the sick, put yourselves in their shoes and see, is he speaking to you? You see, because in this case, in this text, what Jesus is doing here, he's showing us that we are, in fact, the invalids. We are, in fact, the Jews who got angry at him. We are the sick, the blind, the limping, and the paralyzed. We are those who cannot cure ourselves. We are those who cannot help ourselves. We are those who are completely dependent upon His mercy and His grace. We are those filled with superstition and unbelief. And until it was God's miracle working power in our lives, we would still remain superstitious. We would still remain filled with unbelief. So today I really want to encourage you, superstition is not a good thing. And you know what? It filters in throughout our whole lives everywhere. Tina and I, uh, we used to watch the show where people had, to, people had to choose a box or a number, and then they would open the suitcase and see if there's money in there, right? No What's it called? Deal or no deal? Yeah. Anyway, so um, Howie Mandel. <laughs> and so uh, people would go like, all right, Howie, number seven, Howie, because I know I got seven brothers and sisters, Howie, number seven. You know, like, and then they would always connect almost every single time a number to something in their lives, right? Because we are so filled with superstition. And so here these people were so filled with superstition, which means they were not in faith. They did not believe in a supreme God. They were filled with unbelief. Verse number 5, it says, Now a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. That's a long time. Jesus, upon seeing this man laying there and knowing that he had already been in that condition for a long time, said to him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Sir, I have nobody. I have no one caring for me enough to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So not only is this guy sick, he's been sick for 38 years, a very long time. And to crown his misery, he has no one caring for him in this hopeless state that he's in. I mean, imagine that. Now, if you can just kind of use your imagination, think about these people. Where do they go to the restroom? They lay there day in, day out. There's a multitude of them around this pool, hopeless, helpless. They cannot care for themselves. They cannot cure themselves. They cannot help themselves. They have no means 
and no way of getting out of the situation that they're in. They're lame. They cannot go anywhere for help. And they have no one. Jesus said to him, verse 8, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, this is interesting because I come from, I believe that God heals today. Let me start there. I believe God heals today. I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that these gifts of the Spirit have ended. I believe they continue. I'm a continuist. God still heals. God still fills people with the Spirit. God still prophesies through people. God still speaks. You can still hear God. I, hear, I believe all of this. But what's, what's always like a concern to me, but you had to turn a blind eye to it, is that this man had no idea who Jesus was. He didn't know Jesus. He doesn't answer Jesus even in the positive when Jesus says, do you want to be made well? He didn't say, yes, I want to be made well. He rants on about why he can't get well. I have no one. Being here 38 years, proving that he's superstitious. He believes in the myth of the angels stirring the waters. He shows zero sign of faith to be healed by Christ. Yet, guess what? Among the multitude of sick people, Jesus heals him. Did this guy show any sign of faith? No, just complaints. He had no hope, no faith. Didn't know even who the guy is he's talking to. And Jesus said, rise up, walk. It's almost like when Jesus <laughs> raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is in there busy being dead and Jesus just calls him forth. He didn't have a conversation with him to see, hey, would you like to, be, would you like to rise? Yes or no? Check this box. <laughs> no, Jesus just does what Jesus wants to do. And he's doing it on the Sabbath. That's another message, but we're not going to get into it today. So what fascinates me is that Jesus had to have walked past many sick people. And coming from... Uh, the background I come from, you know, I, I, I've been taught that it is God's will to heal absolutely everybody. It is His will that everybody should be healed. Now, I've always wondered about this. Jesus comes through the gate. He walks past a multitude of sick invalids, lame, deaf, Blind. And he goes to this one guy. And he heals this one man who didn't have faith, didn't have hope, didn't know Jesus, didn't even say he wanted to be healed. So my question is, was it that Jesus couldn't heal everybody? Was it that he was unable to heal everybody? Or was it that he didn't want to heal everybody? He either was unable or unwilling, one of the two, but he didn't heal everybody. There was one guy without faith and he heals him. What are we going to do with that? <laughs> what, are we, 
Was he unable or was he unwilling? What say you? Well, he didn't heal them. Well, he didn't. Maybe he couldn't. How many of you believe that Jesus could heal all? Yeah, I believe he could heal all too. How many of you realize he only healed one? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I don't get it, okay? I don't get it, just like you don't get it. It's the purposes of God will be established, and he wills the purpose of God, period. Doesn't explain anything else to us except for that. Let's say this, Father, your will be done. Because that's exactly what happened here. The will of the Father was done. And that's what it was. This one man got healed. Secondly, the man didn't get grace because he obeyed. He was given grace first, and then he was given the ability to obey in faith. Can you see that? Jesus didn't say, if you do this, guess what? I'll pour my healing grace upon you, and you'll be able to walk. That's not what happened. God obviously, by the power of His grace, raised this man or healed this man and told him to stand up. And then he obeyed and he stood up. Obedience, let me say it this way. Salvation, uh, uh, obedience doesn't flow to the cross. Obedience flows from the cross. I'm not saved because I obey God. I obey God because I'm saved. I don't obey God in order to receive the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God in my life. No, I obey God because He's been gracious and merciful to me. He's been good to me. So here this man, in his unbelief, not knowing Christ, having no hope and no faith, Jesus heals him, tells him to walk, and he obeys. He gets up and he walks. So we have to conclude here in this little portion here that he is chosen amongst others, that he's given grace to be healed, and then he immediately obeys. He immediately obeys. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. Verse 10. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered him, He who made me well was the one who said to Pick up your pallet and walk. So he immediately shifts the blame onto, hey, that guy told me to walk. Don't blame me. I haven't walked for 38 years. Now, you, now you're complaining that I'm walking on the Sabbath. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick, up, pick it up and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Can you imagine that? It's almost like Jesus walked over to this guy and says, hey, pick up your bed and walk. Yeah. And then he just kind of like disappears. <laughs> the guy goes, I can walk. Why are you walking on the Sabbath? I don't know. That guy, he was, there was a guy here and he just told me to do it and I did it. 38 years later. Verse 13, but the, but the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Watch this. Afterward, Jesus found this man in the temple. Now he's in the temple. 
from the house of mercy moves to the temple. And Jesus said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Do not sin anymore so nothing worse happens to you. I don't know about you, but there it is. One of your greatest ways of medical insurance <laughs> is holy living. Sanctified life. Only one day in heaven you will find out the amount of sorrows or physical ailments you brought upon yourself. He says, do not sin anymore. In other words, this man was sinning. Well, what was his sin? It doesn't tell us, but I can tell you some of the sins I know is like he didn't have faith. He was superstitious. The man did not find Jesus. Jesus found him. Read it right there. It says, but the man who was healed, uh, excuse me, um, it says, so he was in, on the Sabbath day. He was in um, the temple and Jesus found him. He did not find Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you are well. I mean, think about it. If he's told, don't sin anymore because something worse is going to happen to you, I would immediately ask the question, 38 years of laying in feces next to a pool with a multitude of other people daily, hopelessly, with no one to help. Like, Jesus, what possibly could be worse? <laughs> like, what worse could happen to me? I've experienced 38 years of that. I always know this, that whatever God allows you to go through in the temporal is always for, for eternal purposes. Like, I'll tell you what's worse than 38 years of laying next to the pool of Bethesda with a multitude of sick people is eternal hell. That's, what we're, that's what's worse. You see, Jesus had no intention of leaving this man with meaningless health. He had no intention of leaving this man with meaningless health just so he could be comfortable in the temporal yet still be lost eternity. The issue in this healing is sanctification, holiness. I have made you well, now stop sinning. Jesus says to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands, and the one you're currently with is not even your husband, this sixth guy, you're just living with him. He says, now go and sin no more, stop. You see how Jesus always calls us out of sin. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to save us from hell. The Bible's very clear on it. He came to do what? Save us from sin. So how would he come and save somebody from sickness but not from sin? So the issue here is calling people out of sin. Jesus is saying, my aim in your body is not an end in itself. So my aim in healing you, when Jesus heals somebody, it's not so that they can be more comfortable with less pain. He's saying my aim in healing your body is towards sanctification, to be done with sin, to walk in repentance. 
now that you are well, now that God has saved your life from that tragic accident, now that God has healed you, fight sin. That's the message. Many, many believers believe that there should be no warning or threat in the gospel message. Think about it. Like, you don't often hear the gospel being preached as a warning or as a threat. You, you hear it preached as an invitation, right? It's just an invitation. Many believe the gospel ministry should just be promises and promises and promises, or it should be love, love, love. Many of you have heard the message uh, that's being preached. You know, everything has already been done for you. Everything has been done. Now, all you have to do is believe, 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 believe. All, everything's been, been done. But you don't hear a threat. You don't hear a warning. You don't hear admonition. You don't hear forewarning. You don't hear a caution. You don't hear any kind of exhortation or rebuking. You don't hear any of that. You just hear promises, promises, promises. Love, love, love. It's all been done. It's all been done. Now just receive, receive, receive. But yet, yet Jesus, he never actually preaches the gospel without a warning. And again, in this example, like he did with the woman at the well, he says, now go away and sin no more. And here he says to the man again, stop your sinning or else something worse will happen to you. There's always this, this forewarning, this admonition, this, this threat, this caution given when Jesus preaches the gospel. If you make an idol of your health, this health that I have gifted you with, you will be worse off. Jesus is not ultimately interested in simply healing this man. Because Jesus is ultimately interested in his soul, not in his sickness. And this is important for me to share with you. Because we pray for sick people in our church all the time. And very often, we see amazing things happen. And I've told you some of these stories over and over again. But do you realize that every single time we pray for a member in our church to be healed, we have to take inventory of our motive. Why are we praying for them to be healed? Someone you say, well, I'm praying for them to be healed because I don't like to see anybody in pain. Well, I don't like to see anybody in pain. I don't like to be in pain. I don't like to see people's lives not turning out right. I don't like my life not turning out right. I want everything to just go smooth, hunky-dory, wonderful, peachy. I want life to be roses, right, for everyone. And so we pray for people that way. But then that's not really what Jesus is doing. That's not His heart in healing. That's our heart in healing. And I think we should pick up His heart in healing. Every time we pray for a member in our church to be healed, we have to take inventory. If we are interested in somebody's sickness being removed and not in their soul being saved, or in not in God accomplishing in that person what He is doing in that person by healing them, there's got to be something beyond just getting rid of the owie. You know, there has got to be something eternal in it. Because Jesus never just healed people because, ah, I didn't like them hurting. No, He loved them at a much deeper level. You are not ministering God's love and compassion to that person if you are interested 
only in their sickness, but not in their soul. Piper said, and I quote, If you care for somebody's body without a heart's, without a heart's desire for their soul to be saved, you do not love them. I don't care if you do it for 50 years in Kolkata, you do not love them. Close quote. Verse 15. Verse 15. The Bible says, The man went away and informed the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So here's the guy. I don't know if it was naivety or what the, what the deal was, but Jesus heals him, tells him to stand up and walk. He stands up and walks. The Jews immediately accuse him, and they say, who told you to do it? He said, I don't even know who the guy is. Well, Jesus meets him in the temple later, say, now sin no more. Something worse is going to happen to you. He now knows it's Jesus and who Jesus is. Immediately he goes back and he tells the Jews, it's that Jesus guy that healed me. I don't know if he was naive. I don't know why he did that. But this, of course, was the match that struck and started this massive fire, them coming after Jesus to kill him. Verse 15, the man went away and informed, that Jesus, uh, that, informed the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Verse 16, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on a Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. My father is working until now, and I myself is working. Now, to us, that doesn't sound shocking, but to them, it's shocking that this guy, Jesus, is saying that God isn't God the judge, but God my Father. Wow! Who do you think you are? You the Son of God? Well, yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> Verse 18, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. In conclusion here, we see that every story in John is the gospel being told. And I, and I don't know if you are doing this, but since we are working through John, I really want to encourage you, go all the way back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we walk through it, so much light has come from it. I really want to encourage you to keep reading through John. Because when you get to those different examples in turning water into wine and the woman at the well and now this man at Beth uh, uh, Bethesda, it is so wonderful to read it in context like that. But to see the gospel in all of it. Because every story in John is the gospel being told. Now Jesus comes and gives undeserved grace to a doomed and broken sinner. This is what just happened here. He performs a miracle. He performs a healing miracle. On no basis of what this guy has done or what he has not done. And then he demands that this man have faith, repents from his sin, because you wouldn't repent if you didn't have faith, and then obey him. I mean, think about it. There's the gospel right there. 
We are this man that Jesus is speaking with. Lost, hopeless, superstitious, unable to help ourselves. Then the Lamb of God walks into our lives uninvited, as He did to this man, and He asks, do you want to be made well? We do not know who Jesus is. We don't have any theology. It is non-existent. And the evidence of sin is all over us. But Jesus comes in any way and completely invades our lives with His grace and His mercy, and He calls us to faith, He calls us to repentance, and He calls us to obedience. Always does the same. He calls you to faith, He calls you to repentance, and He calls you to, to, to um, um, obedience. So that is the message of the man, the invalid, for 38 years laying at the pool of Bethesda. God chooses him. And even though he doesn't know Jesus, he has no faith, he only has superstition, Jesus raises him, heals him. He commands him, walk, and he obeys. Jesus does the same for you and I today. If we don't see his goodness in the fact that he has done that for us, we could never be grateful. But if we do, nobody could stop us from being grateful, no, no matter how little we had in the temporal. No matter how little we had in the temporal. God heals whom He wants to heal. Now we pray for everyone to be healed, but God's purposes are established no matter what. It's always amazing to me, and I come right out of it. The list of excuses we can come up with as to why somebody didn't get healed. Why don't we rather just say, your will be done, God. <coughs> and know that you, 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 you just cannot equate somebody's convenience and painless back to God's purposes, eternal purposes in life. Some people have died early because that was the purposes of God. Why? I mean, that's what happened to the guy when, when they were told, throw this guy out so for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul might be saved. God is so much more interested in your eternity than what he is in your convenience and your comfort. And you cannot connect the goodness of God to your convenience and comfort and turn a blind eye to your eternity. Does it make sense to you? So I'm praying for healing for everyone. I'm praying for healing, and I'm not going to blame you if you don't get healed, <laughs> which is what faith preachers do, right? I'm not going to blame you for something. I'm going to just believe God's purposes as we pray for healing. And I thank God. I thank God for health in our bodies. I thank God for protection. Because I thank God that we are we working towards living lives of repentance. Amen? Amen. Um, I want to encourage you. You know, I know to some of you that this is kind of like, okay, well, this is not the healing message that, I, that I'm used to. I want you to go back and just read through 
the whole portion again and then go to the preachers or whatever you, um, you know, I've read through so many different articles and I'm thinking like, why is nobody actually answering the real questions regarding this portion of scriptures? Why is nobody answering that? And so, um, I don't want to get myself into a theological pretzel, but, you know, you know uh, not every situation is the same. Do you know that there are examples where, I mean, they asked Jesus, Jesus, is this, was, this, was this individual sick because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, nobody's sin. He was sick for the glory of God because Jesus came to heal him. You know, that's in the Bible too, right? So there are many different kind of, many different uh, subjects to talk about. I'm just zoning in to what happened right here at the Pool of Bethesda. But God is good. God is good, and we can't always see it. And that's what faith is about. Can you trust that God has your best, your eternal best in mind? Amen? Tell your neighbor, God has your eternal best in mind. Nothing more important to God than your eternity. And right now, we don't have that perspective, but one day when we get to heaven, we'll think our lives, was, our lives are like a passing shadow. And whatever happened during that passing shadow, no matter how painful, no matter how inconvenient, no matter how disappointing, it didn't matter in comparison to the glory of eternity. Amen? Amen. Did you get something out of the Word?